Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. The Athletic. This is Talk of the Devils, a Manchester United podcast brought to you by The Athletic. I'm Ian Irving and guess who's with us today? Yes, you guessed it right. Laurie Whitwell and Andy Mitten. Laurie, you're still in a hotel in Brentford. How exciting. I know you can see it, can't you? It's very glamorous. It's actually the hotel that Manchester United stayed in the night before the game. And as I walked in to check in to about five o'clock last night, the security on the door stopped me and said, are you, are you staying here? And I was a bit like, well, yeah, that's why I'm sort of walking to the reception and about to check in. But in hindsight, I realised that his he was he was on on alert because uh, there was some you know multi million uh, multi million pound footballers in the building uh, with two coaches outside. Nice work, but yeah, it's a nice hotel. Absolutely, it looks lovely in the background there. Andy, you've stayed in many a hotel where Manchester United have been, haven't you? I'm sure. Not really. I wouldn't mind, but I'm often in like the the Ibis, which is far far cheaper than the ones where the the team. Other hotels in. are available. Over, yeah, other hotels are available. I've stayed in um in an hotel in um, Brentford, but I'm not going to talk about that because it'd be really boring. But yeah, around the world, sometimes when you've seen where United are staying, I remember in Bangkok on pre-seasons, it was like the Beatles were there, thousands of people. The players couldn't even leave the floor of their hotel. The fans could. We had a great time. I'm not sure it was like in Brentford, but maybe um, maybe the guy recognised Laurie. Maybe he, he... Yeah, I wonder why he had a pen and pad in his hand. There was a few fans actually waiting outside. So they, they knew. They, they, they'd, they'd sensed it better than me. Manchester United flowing forward now. Here's Marcus Rashford, and that should seal it. Super goal, McTominay played his part. Bruno Fernandes, the provider again. And Marcus Rashford, who'd gone 11 games without a goal, is back on the score sheet for Manchester United. Okay, before we go a little bit deeper into what was eventually, I say eventually, a welcome win at Brentford. I think I actually maybe enjoyed myself watching that second half at certain moments, which is not something I've felt much in recent weeks, I have to be honest. Let's hear from the United boss, Ralph Rangnick, who was speaking to BT Sport post-match about getting a reaction from his side at half-time. Obviously, we had to change a few things and uh, the first half we were not good in almost all aspects of the game. Sloppy passing, uh, not uh, strong enough in the 50-50 situations. Uh, we gave away uh, almost every second ball. Um, and in the second half, we were more urgent. We were attacking them higher up on the pitch. We were taking the right decisions when we were on the counter-attack counter and we scored. And this was the big difference. Yeah, Laurie, this is like the, the, the inverse of what's happened when United have been all right. They usually get worse rather than better under Rangnick in these matches, don't they? That was refreshing, that last night. Yeah, well, it was a sort of flip reverse, I suppose, of the Villa game where, you know, the first half, certainly United were really good and then let the two-goal lead slip um, for the first half last night. I mean, 
Thomas Frank came up with some pretty abrupt kind of description of, of how Brentford had handled United, I think smashed and, and didn't give them a sniff. Um, which is perhaps a bit colourful in terms of perhaps wasn't as one-sided as that, but it, it was it was pretty. When was the last pretty... time Manchester United boiled the piss of the opposition manager? I enjoyed that. Fantastic. That is a good point, actually. Yeah, yeah. You do you do want to come away from it as a, as a United, you know, someone with the United affections, thinking actually we kind of got under their skin a little bit there. Um, There's something very certainly... Manchester United about being able to say ah. I, I loved it. <laughs> I thought it was great. You don't often see post-match interviews like that, do you? I think Thomas Frank realised that you know he was on BT Sport and, and and let's give it some let's give it some welly in front of the cameras. Let's let's stick by my guys. And to be fair, they, they did play well. You know, it was it was them that looked like the team. The way they cut through United on the counter-attacks was um, technically really good and you know the way that they had the energy about them United just didn't seem to know really what they were doing um, a lot of the time in that first half second half the goal changed it didn't it with, um, with Anthony Alanga such a smart finish and then I was watching the goal back and it's actually like it goes through Every single player, apart from Ronaldo and Greenwood, you know, works its way, works the way from the hair and and through the pitch. And McTominay involved, you know, bringing a bit of urgency into midfield. He was involved in all three goals. Thought he was excellent, particularly second half. He, he really kind of came to the fore, both in the midfield to control it and get United going forward, and also as a kind of leader. I suppose he was instrumental. I think in the, the players going over to the fans, certainly at full time. A second half, it'd just be nice if United could actually put a full ninety minutes together, wouldn't it? You know, run you clearly realised that he needed to protect this two-goal lead. He, he changed the formation, as, as Thomas Frank alluded to, for little old Brentford, he, he changed things up. But um, at least that shows that he's kind of developing his own you know, managerial reign in, in the Premier League and English football, realising that you have to make those kind of calls pretty quick. But it would just be nice if United could put a full match together, wouldn't it? You know, 90 minutes where the football starts good and ends good. Yeah, the first half was very Blumange, wasn't it, Laurie? <laughs> I wondered, I, I toyed over that tweet for a while. You shouldn't have said that. Uh, and I... I, well, I don't know. I, did, was it rubbish? Was it a bit like, was, was my tweet a bit blamange? You know, I just kind of felt like it was sort of a wobbly, kind of nondescript <laughs> performance from United, and blamange was what came into my mind. Andy, was blamange the first thing that came to your mind at half time? No, it wasn't, but I don't drink amaretto, do I? So I was just thinking in a more logical <laughs> way. He's right, though. United were poor in the first half, really poor, and. I was getting feedback with people saying, you know, look forward to watching United so much and then the game starts and it's like, oh no. <laughs> but as Laurie said, it was a reversal of, of Villa where United had started so well, but Brentford were, were the better team in the first half by a distance. Little old Brentford in their multi-million pound brand new shining stadium <laughs> with their, their outlay of tens of millions of pounds on, on players. Poor, poor Brentford. I, I did uh, tweet that when United last won the European Cup in 2008, Brentford were actually a fourth-tier team. Their average crowds were, were 4,500, and they're now getting 17,000. Lifelong Brentford fans who haven't been attracted to poor little Brentfords rise up into, into the Premier League. They were all always there for the long goal, apart from when 14,000 of them were missing. But they, they are a success story, and... United were not in the first half. I thought United were really poor. Only stayed in the game because of David De Gea once again. We're saying this so many times. It's all about um, De Gea. But the second half was completely different. And Laurie talked about the team wanting to get control, the manager wanting to get control. That is exactly what he wants to get. He wants the structure so that he can control the games. That is why he's picking Fred. That's why he's picking Scott McTominay, who's been excellent under Ralph Rangnick. But it's the holy grail for every coach to control the matches and United are not managing to do it. Much, much better in the second half. Three goals from three academy uh, graduates. 
And I left the last podcast saying Manchester United really need not just an away win, but a convincing performance away from home. That's exactly what United got in Brentford. And that means we're all smiles today. If you had to compare the second half to a dessert, Andy, what would you say it was like? Tiramisu. Nice. Nice. Multi-layered, multi-fascinated, faceted, fascinated. What on earth am I on about? (laughs) With um, a nice hit of caffeine there. Anthony Alanga, who is a player who Ralph Rangnick trusts. Great that he scored the goal. I think it was really important that Marcus Rashford scored as well. And that Mason Greenwood scored because he's not been scoring after a really productive start to the season two managers ago the last time Greenwood scored yeah. before last night Yeah, but I, I'm struggling to link all that to a dessert mate if I'm completely honest and maybe the I, I, you, you could have stopped at that. Tiramisu yeah I, I, I thought that was fairly a fairly good shout Laurie's our connoisseur of course so Laurie was it a Tiramisu of a second half for you as well you threw Andy a right curveball there, and I'm quite I'm quite impressed with how you managed to he dealt with it didn't he handle that Andy yeah yeah, yeah, yeah you dollop of right cream back. on top yeah, it works. I saw quite a lot of people last night tweeting after the second half, probably tongue-in-cheek in fairness, but leaning towards the sense that Manchester United may have turned some sort of corner or they may have hit upon something in that second half under Rangnick for the first time that felt more tangibly like United are good. Is it far, far too early on the evidence of that second half to say that, Laurie? Or... Do you feel confident enough to say maybe it might have clicked? I don't feel confident enough to say maybe it might have clicked. I think it's still, it's it's kind of crumbs of, of, of stuff. It, it, you can see that there's elements that are, you know, are what he's asking for from Manchester United players. But, you know, in terms of, I suppose, the, the quick transitions, you know, the, the two, the second and third goals were scored, you know, six seconds and, and, and 10 seconds, you know, it took for United to get the ball in the back of the net, ha- having won it. So they're definitely what Ralph Rangnick wants from, from his players. But I just think there's, there's still that, that sort of brittleness about the team, you know, the, the goal at the end from, from the set piece, the long throw from Brentford, you know, just chaotic in United's goal and De Gea looked absolutely furious you know with conceding which you know I think he's every right to given the amount of times that he's bailed United out um, this season and I actually had a friend who was in the away section um, last night and I sort of had my amaretto in the hotel lobby with him afterwards we were discussing the game you can get it everywhere Newcastle and Brentford <laughs> and he and he was in the away section and he's he is perhaps a more hard, harder to please than, than I am I suppose but at one point I think for the goal he kind of shouted some criticism at Maguire and a couple of people turned around and kind of gave him a bit of a look as if to say, that's that's not what we do here. And, you know, the, the songs, you know, United were loud and, and throughout the game. And he was kind of a bit taken aback by that, thinking, is it not supposed to, are you not supposed to give them a bit of stick when they do badly so that they kind of understand, you know, or, or kind of get the, the vibe from fans that they need to, you know, be better. But I just thought it was an interesting kind of point of view that he had where it's not, so it's not all smiles and happiness. There is still... You know, for some people, certainly, and I you know, consider myself among that, there's still concerns there that, you know, against a, a better, a more ruthless team than Brentford, you know, United would have lost that game because you look at, I mean, I'm not not one that, you know, absolutely, um, you know, bows down to statistics all the time, but look at the XG. Brentford had a better XG than Man United. Aston Villa had a better XG than Man United. So they're kind of underlying some, you know, statistics to sort of show how United are, are doing. So that that's kind of what brings me the concern. I don't mean to be all naysayer because certainly it was extremely uplifting to see Anthony Alanga really seize his moment. He's done it twice now in, you know, in successive games, really seize his moment and celebrate properly. And there was a, that brilliant photo of him afterwards, wasn't there, that he posted on Instagram um, of him as a child, 
with Pontus Janssen and his dad, um, who used to play for Malmo in the same team as Janssen in, in 2010. Um, so that was really nice. Greenwood uplifting Rashford. It was really important for him to score. So that was lovely. Three academy graduates scoring in the same match. You know, it's only a few times that's happened in the United's history, um, certainly in the Premier League era. So that was all encouraging, really great. But still, there's that kind of slight concern actually against the top team that can get picked apart. No, I think that's fair, Laurie. I think you summed it up quite nicely there in terms of there being sort of elements of optimism, but also big reasons for pessimism still as well. Andy, let's talk about Anthony Alanga. You've got a piece that's about to drop on The Athletic. It probably has dropped by the time this podcast goes out about why he's in the team predominantly. So why is it? Well, there's there's several reasons. Um, One is that players such as Jadon Sancho are not playing themselves into a side where you can't drop them because they've not been playing well. But I think eyebrows were still raised when he was in the starting lineup at Villa Park. But as his manager said, he vindicated that selection decision. It was very direct. The manager feels that he can trust him. Um, I spoke to several people uh, about his position. And also, aside from people um, who know what's going on, Dwight York, who coached him very closely uh, last year, and he gave him a lot of advice last year uh, when he was completing his badges and working with the under-23s under under Neil Wood. And Ilanga is someone who, when Ralph Rangnick came in, he didn't know about all Manchester United players in detail. He didn't know what, what we know. He didn't have preformed opinions because he was working in Moscow. So every player had a chance to impress their new manager. And right from the first training session, he impressed uh, Rangnick. That's why Alanga uh, came on in his first game against uh, Crystal Palace, that, that narrow whim. He's seen as someone who he listens. When I spoke to different people about him, they all kept saying he's intelligent. I mean, he speaks three languages and his upbringing is an interesting one, as, as you've touched on. He, he speaks French. His father was a Cameroonian international. He, he grew up in Sweden till he moved to Manchester. He's got a very Mancunian accent. That shot me his accent post-match. I don't know what I expected him to sound like, but... Um... He moved to Manchester because his family just wanted a, a different life, a, a, a better life. And straight away when he joined junior teams, he was a standout. That's what got him into Manchester United. But he's someone who studies videos of players. He, he really idolised Thierry Henry. There are similarities between the way he plays and Thierry Henry. But everyone talks about how he listens. And a lot of people at United are really rooting for him because there'll be times when we talk about other young players on this podcast and the probability is that most of them are not going to establish themselves as first-team players for Manchester United. But Anthony Langer is faster than Jadon Sancho. He's faster than Mason Greenwood. He's not as fast as Marcus Rashford, but Marcus Rashford has been out of form as well. So all these little factors allow have allowed him to, to get his chance. And I was told that within the structure of how United play, and I keep using this word structure because that's what keeps being told to me, when Bruno Fernandes gets the ball in the middle, he wants to know that Alanga is going to be there. And he wants to be able to hit a pass to him, either short to his feet, because he's a player who likes the ball coming to his feet, or did do, but he's been encouraged to go long as well, to run onto a chance. And they really like his directness. They think he's aggressive. They think his penetration is something which the team has been lacking. But mostly, I'm told, he, he listens and acts out instructions. Anthony knew before the game, well before the game, that he was playing yesterday. It wasn't just a, oh, you're playing again. And I think he did well. I think for a 19-year-old in a league where the average age of a debut is 22, 
to have two games. Consistency is not a word you associate with with young players. He's had two really good games. I think it's fantastic. And I did laugh at one of the suggestions for a song to the tune of Rhythm is a Dancer, Anthony Alanga. How would that go? I'm going to sing it to you. Not because it's taken off yet. It's not mine. It's um, a lad called Stu Saltwin, but he is responsible for some of the best Manchester United songs. right? So I would back him. And he wouldn't have much of a follower on social media, not a big one, but that's what I... He had the line, Rhythm is a dancer, Antonia Langer, and he was looking for inspiration. And what I don't know whether he's one of his mates or not, Andrew P replied, You won't stop him if you dare. Came from Scandinavia to be United Saviour, scoring goals from everywhere. And I love the idea of a whole away head going, Whoa, <laughs> it's, it's a Langer. <laughs> I think that that's really good. He's got potential. And. I just saw that and thought, there's two sharp brains gone into that. Just imagine, right? We're in St. Petersburg, either the European <laughs> Cup final, drinking, a, drinking amaretto, amaretto 25,000 people bouncing around singing Rhythm is a Dancer. <laughs> I mean, this is making me smile. It's not going to happen, but <laughs> I live in hope of a brighter future and that song taking off. Cristiano Ronaldo wasn't too happy to come off, but you had a little chat with him, didn't you? Yes, okay, it's normal. I mean, uh, as a striker, he wants to score goals. He came back from a little injury. So for me, it's, uh, it was uh, also important to bear in mind that we have another game in three days' time. Um, on the other hand, we were 2-0 up. The same result that we had at Villa Park, uh, uh, and I decided to, to just make sure that we defend that lead this time. And uh, I think it was the right decision to, 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 to switch to a back five. We scored the third goal, and, uh, and then in the end, of, uh, we would have kept, wanted to keep a clean sheet. Unfortunately, we didn't manage to keep the clean sheet, but at least uh, we made sure that nothing happened anymore. Can we talk about Cristiano Ronaldo, please, Laurie? Go on. Part of me thinks that it's a real issue what he did. Part of me thinks it's just a, a player who wanted to get on the score sheet, sensing, smelling blood in that second half and being frustrated by that. Obviously missing a couple of games with injury as well. Um, part of me thinks it was maybe the, the sort of driving him to follow up on the interview that he'd had after missing the Villa game and all that sort of thing. Being there in the moment, it was, it was, it was shocking, I think, just because even though you expect it from Ronaldo, he's coming off for Harry Maguire. You know, it's it's a change of system. He's been sacrificed. Um, he can, as you say, he can sense goals in that game. You know, the way that United had spaces, he was looking at, at adding to his, his total for the season. And we know that that is an important thing in his mind. But it was still quite shocking because you're quite close to the players in the dugout at Brentford. It's a really good press box. And you, it, it, you know, to see him so angry and then snatching the coat. And as the game's going on, he's trying to put the coat on and he gives up on the coat because it, it won't fit properly. And it, it's just a proper tantrum. <laughs> Sits on the, you know, shuns the seats. That's I love that element of it. Like, the, the seats aren't worthy of me right now. I'm sitting on the concrete step. You know, he's got an arse that can handle it, no doubt. But And then just continuing, even when Rashford, Rashford scored, like I was looking at the celebration and I just sort of looked down and all the bench had risen. Ronaldo's still sat there, um, you know, and he's grump. Ranić, to be fair to him, I thought handled it really well in sort of, you know, he went over and sort of gave him a hug and you could see him obviously the BT sport camera showed that he was talking to him um, and, and throughout but you know full-time whistle goes Ronaldo was nowhere to be seen in one aspect certainly it's just a, an elite player who wants to still be playing and it's actually endearing that he's got that passion for the game and it's in that moment he's not going to hide his feelings that's how he feels 
I'm, I, I don't care. The only aspect of it is if there's a kind of underlying tension perhaps with the rest of the squad, which he himself has perhaps indicated in that interview where he spoke about perhaps younger players not listening necessarily wholly to, to perhaps advice that he has or, or other experienced players. And you had Mason Greenwood there, didn't you, on the bench sort of looking at him and there's a brilliant picture of him sort of like wrinkled forehead going, uh, <laughs> what's going on here? And so there's that element to it where you're just thinking, okay, if that's that one blow up, and then everybody, you know, they can kind of get on and hug and they understand it's just him um, being annoyed that he hasn't been able to add to his goal tally because he was asking, why me? Um, then fine. But if it's sort of simmering, it's sort of discontent that lasts, then it, then it's an issue. Like I say, credit to Ranyak because after the game, he was asked, I asked him about it. Two other journalists asked him about it. He obviously, I'd been asked by BT Sport and various of the broadcasters and he, he, he gave full answers each time explained the situation saying, you know, why shouldn't I make changes? I've got a bench. He was injured, as you say. And I said to him, hopefully when you're a coach in a few years time, you'll understand the decision is, is for the team and, and is for ultimately getting the win over the line because United conceded two goals late on against Villa to let um, a lead slip, two points go. This was about protecting that. And Ronaldo, he hadn't had that much to do in the game. You know, he hadn't had that much influence. He'd made a couple of mistakes. He'd been kicked to bits as well. He was probably frustrated about that, quite I imagine. Quite possibly, too, yeah. He, You've got all that. You know, there was quite a few moments with that. Yeah, well. for sure. I mean, it was, it, the, the, the Chester Fernandes was absolutely inspired, you know, to, to get that sort of power on it, that direction, you know, really inventive. So so credit him absolutely for that. And the header was close off the bar. But it wasn't like, in that moment, they clearly needed some more legs to, to see out the game. And I can understand Randick's decision totally. It'll just be really interesting to see how that develops, you know, if Ronaldo's tension still simmers. I thought that it wasn't a good look when you see a player doing that. And yet I can understand and I'm quite happy that he's angry because it showed his passion. Maybe he felt that United had not closed the game out at Villa a few days previous and needed experienced players like him to help close the game out. Maybe there's underlying tensions, not with other players, but or not just with other players, but with the coaches as well. And that comes to the fore when he goes back. And he has a heated discussion. But as Ralph Rangnick correctly said, the manager has got to make decisions, tough decisions. I mean, Cristiano, he's obviously got a huge ego and that's helped him become the player that he is. And he likes, he, he, he's a collector and he likes collecting the individual awards, the t- statistics. A lot of it, even though he's a team player, is about him. And if he felt that he could have been scoring goals and adding to it, um, he's probably frustrated. But I don't think it was a good look to see it uh, and the, the the TV cameras went honed in on it as well, and it became a a talking point. But when you are a, a, a new manager, you're not going to have the bank of credit with the players that someone like Ferguson would have had after 20 years, where what you say goes. But even with Ferguson, you know, Rude van Nistelrooy went absolutely mad at him and called him every name under the sun. Funny that you mentioned Sir Alex Ferguson, Andy. Um, a Ronaldo tantrum after being subbed in a game had a a Manchester United manager saying he wanted to stay on, he's in great form, but I've got to look at the big picture. I've got to think about keeping our players as fresh as we can for the games ahead. That wasn't Ralph Rangnick post-match at Brentford. That was Fergie back in May 2009 when Ronaldo wasn't very happy being taken off in what was his final Manchester derby before he was to leave uh, Manchester United that summer. So it's funny how history can repeat itself. Let's end on a high then, Laurie. Um, we, we sort of talked a bit about Bruno Fernandes, who followed up from his goals at Villa with a much more all-round display in that second half last night. He looked much more like Bruno. And Scott McTominay and Diogo Dalot 
were fighting it out for man of the match along with De Gea, weren't they? Yeah, I, I mean, I'll have to say I was surprised when BT gave it to, to Dallas. Um, certainly Rio Fern, I think, disagreed and he, he went from McTominay only because there was that moment in the first half where Dallas gives the ball back to Brentford and that was their first chance, wasn't it? Where he kind of, he, he tries to pass back. But aside from that, I thought, yeah, I think he's been a good addition to the team, actually. Um, you know, Wambasaka's out with illness at the moment, but equally... I think Dalot's in there on merit. You know, he's he's, Do you think he's first choice now. I would say so, just because I think he's he adds more. Certainly in a system where you know he's obviously done away with the four-two-two-two, but the four-three-three still can be a bit narrow at times. You know, if you've got the, the three, you know, Bruno, you know, McTominay, and, and um, Fred or, or Matic, you know, kind of tucked in. So they need the fullbacks to, to you know bomb on, and, and certainly Dalot does that better. You know, in my mind than than Wambasaka. Although there was that moment in the first half where Ronaldo's teed him up and his cross is horrendous straight into the fans. So, um, you know, he's not like a Beckham yet on the wing, uh, whipping him in. But um, no, I thought he was, I thought he was good. But I do, I do think McTominay, I know De Gea pulled off the save. I guess in hindsight, maybe there were saves you were expecting to make, but I thought McTominay really, you know, came to the fore. Um, but you are right. I think Bruno has, has showed these last two games, he still has it. You know, he's, he's, he's been, you know, and you suppose you look at the Ronaldo dynamic there and, and, and sometimes it hasn't clicked for them with Portugal. Um, he dropped out the team with the Euros, um, you know, under uh, the manager there. So, uh, you know, is is there is there something that just doesn't quite click between those two? But without Ronaldo sort of, I guess, you know, Ronaldo was on the pitch last night, wasn't he, for the first two goals? But it, it, it feels like Bruno's kind of, pushed himself into the limelight a little bit more um, these past couple of weeks and he's trying stuff again and I mean he obviously was trying that finish at the end in terms of the contract that he's you know shelved the talks on you know he's rejected one offer I believe you know in autumn uh, he will want to see how he's fixed at the end of the season likewise United will want to see where they're at and, and what the competition is United are comfortable given that he's got a long-term contract to 2025 at least uh, with an option for an extra year but at the same time I think it would be good to, to kind of draw a line under that and, and get him signed up. Yeah, whichever way you look at it, it was a good win, an important win for Manchester United men's senior team last night, but they weren't the only United team who were victorious on Wednesday evening. Also, Mark Skinner's women's team, who beat Arsenal 1-0 in the quarterfinals of the Conti Cup, the League Cup, uh, in the women's game against Arsenal, who are top of the WSL. It was a great win. Uh, Alessia Russo scored uh, the only goal of the game late on, and that followed up from a 5-0 win over Birmingham last weekend. So the women start in 2022 in style, really. Five wins in a row if you take the form from the end of last year as well. And it's pushed them up to third in the WSL, which would be enough to get a Champions League spot. A lot of fighting going on between these teams in those positions because there's three sides locked on 21 points uh, with Chelsea and Spurs. Chelsea have games in hand, but United play Spurs on Sunday, which is going to be a huge match in the WSL and could be a crucial game in Manchester United hopes of making the Champions League this year. So good luck to them as well. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? 
Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. This episode is supported by Season 3 of FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League 2 after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the city's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher division. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenges and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to Wrexham. Catch all new episodes Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, Everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Right, still pretty quiet, it's fair to say, on the United front in terms of transfers in this January transfer window. But some intriguing comments yet again from Manchester United's interim manager about Paul Pogba, who of course has a bit of an uncertain future, shall we say, at the minute. This was him speaking in the press conference ahead of the match at Brentford. For me, it's not a question if a player has an expiring contract. The question is, how much does he still... B want, wants to be part of this group, how much does he still feel emotionally and physically on board? Uh, and as long as this is the case, why shouldn't the Paul Pogba now, after two and a half months of injury, being fully fit again now? And he also wants to, to show up. He wants to show the, the, the fans of Manchester United, the board, the whole world, what kind of player he can be. And even if it's for only to showing up for, for a new contract elsewhere, I mean, he will be highly motivated to do that. And why shouldn't I then not play him? Spoiler alert, we've had a bit of a preamble about this. And it seemed like I was the only one who thought what Rangnick said was odd. Andy, or did you agree with me? I like Rangnick's clarity and honesty on the subject. Um, fans are not stupid. Um, the facts have been laid out. Manchester United have made Paul Pogba several contract offers. He's not signed those offers. He's allowed A, to communicate with other clubs as of now, and B, he's out of contract uh, at the end of the season. People expect him to leave doesn't definitely mean that he is leaving, but the manager, I think, has a realistic, pragmatic approach to, I wouldn't say the, the, the problem. I think a lot of United fans have just had it with Pogba. They just expect him to leave. They're not too bothered that he will be leaving. The flip side of that is, on his day, he's a world-class footballer who cost a world record transfer fee and will be leaving for nothing. The bigger picture is that this is becoming more of an issue for big clubs like United. Players having the confidence to run their, their contracts down and United want to avoid this happening. It's one reason why United have given extensions maybe to players who fans didn't believe deserve 
um, contract extensions. Just a pretty sad situation with Pogba. He's been injured too much. Um, but what would you do if you're Ralph Rangnick? It's not his problem. He's going to pick the best teams and players available to him. And if he feels that Paul Pogba is playing, training really well and worthy uh, in uh, for a place in his squad, then he'll make the decision based on that and won't take a longer term view because he doesn't need to. To play devil's advocate though, Laurie, if Pogba doesn't want to be there long term, should Rangnick not be focusing on the players who do want to be there long term and trying to improve them and, and, and utilise them in a, in a system for United moving forward? Yeah, I think in a normal situation where the manager was here on a long term contract, that would be the case because he's got to think not just for the immediate, but also next year and how a selection right now might affect squad harmony or, or kind of the motivation that other players have to commit to this club. Ralph Rennick is out of contract as a manager in four months' time. So his priority is to make this as successful as he can be right now. So it's not, I think he's, from his point of view, it makes total sense. Now it's Manchester United that have allowed this situation to happen where you've got a star player who's worth in normal market, a lot of money and a manager both having contracts expiring. It's a pretty crazy situation, really, that, that you know, of Manchester United's own making. Nevertheless, you know, success has sometimes, you know, uh, sprouted from unusual circumstances. Um, you know, we've seen before where temporary managers have, have won the biggest trophies or players have, have really found their form when um, it looks like they might be departing. So it's not to say that it can't work to United's benefit for this final few months, but as Andy says, as far as I'm understanding it, there's not been any kind of final decision made from Paul Pogba's behalf. It's not like he's 100% leaving. There's, there's no sort of advanced talks with anybody in terms of where he might go. He wants to get back into the team um, and, and play football. He had a, a really good conversation with Ralph Ranick um, on his return um, to Carrington before his first training session. Um, by all accounts, enjoyed the session. It was, you know, a mutually appreciation between the pair of them. So Ralph Rennick's talked about the Borough FA Cup game or the Burnley uh, Premier League game after that as, as ones for Pogba's return. I think a lot of people are, yeah, a bit fatigued by the whole saga that is Paul Pogba. I can see different sides of it where he might have felt he should have had a contract offer put to him, you know, before the final year, you know, before just triggering his extension. Um, equally, United will say, well, you know, you had your agent, you know, publicly admonish the club and say you were on uh, ad nauseum. <laughs> Slight issue. So, yeah, yeah. so maybe we, we didn't think you'd, you'd sign a deal. You know, so we're, we're here now. So I think Ralph, Ralph Ranić, whilst it, it it certainly, you know, we after we said it, we kind of got together as, as journalists and sort of thought, has he, has he really said that? You know, it, it's kind of pretty stark but at the same time it's logical in this in the circumstances of where he's at and what's happened with Martial Laurie it's all sorted now is it I will see going forwards Ralph Rennick was asked about that again you know so after the Villa game and then um, before this game and he was diplomatic but he defo doubled down on uh, what he'd said it wasn't like he suddenly came out and said oh no I, I kind of misspoke or you know there was a misunderstanding and, and now actually I see things a, a totally different way I, you know I wrote a piece on uh, Monday about this you know and trying to give as much insight as I could into, into the situation it's clearly a delicate one where you know I think there's been issues in the past where Marshall perhaps has, has felt that he has been injured for a game and you know the United staff have perhaps had a different point of view it, I wonder if that's sort of simmering still now and clearly he wants to move away so Ralph Rannick yeah, from what I understand it there's a there was a go-between a colleague who who asked the question of Marshall and it was kind of taken as Marshall as an invitation rather than a demand to say you're in the squad are you are you going to play there's perhaps been a breakdown in communication there but ultimately there's still that kind of 
I guess, questions to Marshall's commitment to the cause, given, you know, he wants to go. So it's interesting how Ranić has handled those two situations. I think you can see he's spoken well of Paul Pogba. He's obviously questioned Anthony Marshall. So clearly there's something going on in the background there that I think has warrant to, to what he's saying. And what about Lingard, Andy, as well? He's still being linked with all sorts of clubs, including Newcastle. But I think one thing's for certain, United aren't going to let him go on loan in the second half of the season to West Ham again, are they? Well, West Ham are a competitor for Manchester United in, in the league. And that's difficult for Jesse Lingard, who I suspect just wants to, to play football. And there is interest in him because he's a decent player, because he did so well at West Ham last year. He did all right at the start of this season, but he's just not had the chances that he feels he deserves. Clubs tend to stockpile players. Um, they save them for a rainy day. Uh, the players sit on big contracts and are well remunerated for that. But I've yet to meet a footballer who just doesn't want to play football. It's it's about playing football rather than looking at, at, at their bank balance. I don't know what's going to go on there. What has happened in the past is players have gone to see the manager and I'll give an example of a concrete one I know. Morgan Schneidlin, for example. I'm not playing, I want to go. And Jose Mourinho said, we want to keep you and you are in my plans. And then three months down the line, when he's still not playing, he goes in much stronger and says, I'm going, I want to go. And at that point, I think most managers would say, if a player doesn't want to be here, then it is almost better moving them on. But Jesse's circumstances and the level of suitors he's got make this quite unique circumstances. One option for him would be to go abroad, where he wouldn't be a threat to Manchester United unless he signs for Atletico Madrid. I know he spoke to Spanish clubs last year, some of them quite low, and also French clubs as well, Marseille, Nice. And he ended up going probably for the best option for him, West Ham. And doing really, really well. I, I was really pleased for him last year. I don't know the answer. What do you think, Laurie? Yeah, I mean, I think if United can, he's clearly not, you know, in the squad enough, right? So if United can get some money for him because they're going to miss out on him, you know, um, getting any value if he leaves on a free at the end of the season, I, I would do it. United have this historical thing of not letting players go out to sort of, you know, rivals or challenger clubs. Sergio Romero had it, didn't he, when Everton was was blocked um, to much fury from him um, on deadline day. So it, it, the, the the bar for United to consider rivals is, is sort of lessened over the years. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it's hard to know where to draw the line now, isn't it, in that regard? But you've teed this up very nicely. Let's preview the Jesse Lingard derby this weekend. Here's Lingard. Jesse Lingard! It is the scenario that West Ham fans were dreading. The player who reignited his career on loan here last season gets atonement for his mistake on Tuesday night. Okay, big game coming up then at the weekend. It's Manchester United against West Ham United, separated by just two points in the battle for the top four. Andy, David Moyes is returning to Old Trafford with West Ham United above Manchester United in the Premier League table. He'll love that, won't he? He'll love the fact that he's doing well at at West Ham. And I'm pleased for him. Um, I like him. I know him. I'm almost at times been felt embarrassed to say that publicly because I know United fans, his name just puts them into, into a rage. 
but he's a good manager and he showed that. And also, Manchester United would now admit that they got it wrong with Moyes, not in appointing him, but the structure they put around him. They didn't feel that they supported him. So that would support David Moyes' claim that he felt United could have been better for him. Of course, there's two sides to the story and David's interactions with the media when he was at Manchester United were not convincing, but he did really well as a manager at Preston, really well at Everton, and he's doing really well at West Ham. And when United were one up in Munich for 38 seconds, he was doing really well for Manchester United (laughs) until Bayern (laughs) Munich absolutely blitzed United. I hope his team loses handsomely at the weekend and I'll probably um, tell him that but look West Ham West Ham average 60,000 now that that statistic is just bizarre to me West Ham were this little team well not little that's patronising they weren't Arsenal they weren't Tottenham and now they're really really well supported in a couple of years they're going to be the best supported team in London in terms of average crowds and West Ham in fourth. Yeah, United are sort of getting involved in the battle to be the pride of London in the Premier League this year, in a sense, Laurie, because Chelsea feel like they're getting sucked in to the battle for the top four and not the title race now, considering their faltering form. Spurs are obviously in there, and I was disappointed to see that win for them last night, to be honest, because that feels like a real morale-boosting victory for them. And of course, they've got games in hand on everyone. Uh, Arsenal are in there too. Um, It's going to be a it's good actually that Chelsea are being dragged in because it's going to be really tight between these teams it feels and to have two places to fight for rather than one is definitely good news for United yeah Chelsea's drift out of tight contention and towards they're very catchable now Chelsea you know um, United win their games in hand they're right in there I think they've not won for four games have they so one win in seven I think it is Chelsea it's quite, it's, really yeah, bad it's pretty bad I mean, they so, so you can and, and not all you can see this you know, this tension there with Lukaku and, and their the, the wing backs are injured. So it's certainly it's, it's an unsteady ship, I would say, at Stamford Bridge right now. So that's at least giving United some hope that actually it won't just be one extra place in the Champions League spots that they can claim. It, it could be another one. West Ham, I'm there. It should be an interesting game. I'm I'm really excited to see. You know, Declan Rice again in the flesh. I, you know, I've enjoyed watching him play, and he's someone that I always bang the drum on in terms of could he play for United? It would be a big transfer fee if it happened. I think he's got some affections for Manchester United. Maybe there are still still some doubts, perhaps on a technical level when reports come back in. But I just, I just think the character that he's got, um, you know, the way that he carries the ball and, and, and really takes responsibility, I think could be a real benefit to Manchester United. And as Andy says, you kind of feel kind of pleased for David Moyes. I think he didn't ultimately get... A, a, a totally fair crack of the whip just because of the structure around him. And certainly you're, you're, you're furrowing your brow area and I know you are. Yeah, but wasn't he responsible for some of that by the decisions he made on the coaching staff, for example? Absolutely. And I've, I, you know, we've written that before, you know, certainly, you know, getting rid of McPhil and Eric Steele and, and Rennie Mullenstein, which was, which, which were people that Alex Ferguson wanted to keep in the building was a mistake. And I think he's admitted that, but equally the structure that he went into and the fact that you had Ed Woodward there in his first summer as chief executive, you know, he, he's, Still gets criticised now, Ed Woodward, for what he does as chief executive. Think back to you know nine years ago. I think he even privately admits that Moyes in an, into a system that wasn't set up to, to fully give him um, support. It's been a really interesting 
winter of his career at West Ham, the fact that he's managed to shape this team. It's a fun team to watch. I know they lost 3-2 to Leeds the other night, but actually, you know, they were giving it some and it could have been 3-3 at the end. You know, Jared Bowen is another player that I'm really interested to see how he's developed because he's he seems in a really good mode. Um, I won't try and link him with Manchester United. I think, you know, Liverpool have got eyes on him maybe, but but I think he's a really, really exciting player as well. So David Moyes has done a really good job. Um, and it should be a good game. West Ham... At Old Trafford, um, there's been some really notable games. There's Paolo Di Canio in, yep. in the FA Cup. Bartes statue. Yeah. And also, um, the final game, I think, of the 06-07 season. Tevez. Tevez. United had won the league. Supposed to be a big celebration. Was really flat. Was really crap. That was one of them games where I talked about being bored of winning. A few weeks ago, that was I remember that one. It was a it was a May day, but it was really drizzly and horrible. But that game had huge ramifications for the Premier League because I think Sheffield United went down because of it. And it was a famous game in the eighties, what a lot of the old eighties casuals love. Uh, FA Cup six round four two against West Ham at Old Trafford. They brought a massive mob of hooligans. We like to talk about stuff like this. The ICF, the Intercity, You're doing it. <laughs> they came out of Piccadilly. And you'll still find fellas now in the 60s or late 50s talking about the great battle that they had that day. Thankfully, such events um, no longer happen uh, at football games. But yeah, that, that West Ham game in, um, in the 80s was a, a very memorable one for lots of reasons from, from the fans who were there. OK, well, let's hope there's some excitement on the pitch uh, this weekend for Manchester United. Uh, but Andy, Laurie, brilliant to have you on the podcast as always. I hope you guys at home enjoyed that as well. Don't forget the 33% discount is still here. You can get a third off a subscription to The Athletic at theathletic.com forward slash Man United pod. And The Athletic are recording still daily transfer shows bringing you exclusive news and insight on any deals done during the January transfer window. The only place that you can hear these podcasts is on The Athletic app or by subscribing to The Athletic UK Audio Plus on Apple Podcasts. Start your free trial on there today. But for now, let's hope there's some excitement, like we say, against West Ham at the weekend. Let's hope it's more second half than first half. More tiramisu than blancmange. See you on the next one. Bye-bye. Athletic. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel.
Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. 